This is the NHS. This is the NHS Assembly. The NHS Assembly. NHS Assembly Podcast. This is the NHS Assembly Podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Enright, Director of Communications for the NHS in England. Welcome to another edition of the NHS Assembly Podcast, where we tell you about some of the big topics discussed at the most recent NHS Assembly meeting. The fourth meeting was held in South London, just at the beginning of December. In this episode, we look at the future of general practice. GP surgeries are where most NHS care is provided, with more than 300 million consultations every year. If you ask the public, one of the most important issues for them is being able to get a GP appointment. That's why the NHS is currently reviewing how to improve access to GPs. We will also be hearing about the new approach to organising GP surgeries into networks, better able to support GPs with their growing workload. But first, let's hear from Claire Gerarda, who is co-chair of the Assembly and a GP herself. She told me why she thought now was the time for GPs to be on the agenda of the Assembly. General practice is in particular crisis at the moment. I know everybody says that about the NHS, but general practice is really struggling to be able to deliver what patients need and want. Many of you might have heard only a couple of weeks ago, a group of GP bodies says we should stop doing home visiting. Now, of course, we shouldn't stop doing home visiting, but I think it reflects the desperation that many of my profession are feeling at the moment. What we're expected to do now and what's been really the government policy for the last 20 years is to pick up the, not just the slack that's happening in hospital, but to pick up work that was happening in hospital even a decade ago. And I'll give you an example. If we moved a patient who had diabetes from tablets to insulin, even five years ago that was done by a hospital consultant in a diabetic specialist. Now it's the norm for GPs. And this goes right through, not necessarily in the neonates, not the tinies, but right through to end-of-life care that the GP is doing it. We're even giving, uh, which we never used to do, prenatal care. That means people who have genetic issues that want to come and talk to us. You can't have failed to notice after every programme, go and see your GP, go and discuss it with your GP. If you need to use the gym, go and talk to your GP. And I think it's now becoming unsustainable. Vish Ratnasurya is a GP in Birmingham who spoke to the Assembly about his experiences. He told me that the pressures on primary care are mounting. General practice is fragile. I think over the last um, many years we've seen an increasing demand. So 307 million appointments in general practice last year, 312 million appointments this year. Um, The number of whole-time equivalent GPs has gone down by 300. And and there's complexity, so, you know, people living with three or more long-term conditions has gone up by 50% over the last few years, so three million people. So you put that together and you can see why people are are struggling to get access to general practice. Um, We've made some good starts with the long-term plan uh, and primary care networks, and there's a huge need to focus on stabilisation. Stabilisation to let general practice off the hamster wheel, to allow time and space to flourish, to develop the headspace, to then contribute to their systems is key for me. Let's hear from the floor of the Assembly and some thoughts about how we get patients to play a part in their own care. First, Lucy Watts, who is a disability advocate, and then Helen Hassel, who is a parent carer. 
the missing link in this? If GPs could upskill more patients like me, so for example, rather than book to see my GP, when I know what I need them to do, I see my consultant, we need them to do a certain action, I email my GP, he does it. Now, if I had gone to an appointment, that would have been waiting two weeks for an appointment, taking up someone's time, and actually, one email could solve that. But it's because I'm an activated patient, and my team have helped me in that, so actually, could primary care kind of upskill patients to take back some of that control? so that they know how to access service, when to access service, and what is available. You know, patients can be empowered to look after themselves. Again, having gone through that children's journey, I've been empowered, I've been taught that delegation of healthcare task. You know, I chose to learn a lot of it and have been supported to do that. So again, to echo Lucy's view, use us, because actually we'll only offer a couple of times before we give up. You're listening to the NHS Assembly Podcast. The NHS Assembly Podcast. Nikki Kanani is Director of Primary Care for NHS England. She still works part-time as a GP and had to be in surgery the day of the assembly, so I caught up with her a few days later. She's been talking to those who work in primary care and many of those who use it. She's been across the country and is just about to publish a review into patient access to GPs. She told me what she's been finding out. So over the summer, we have engaged with 750 different groups, uh, individuals, stakeholders, been out on practice visits, um, visited local systems. But we've also trawled over 2,000 data sets relating to primary care. We've had engagement events. We've had task and finish groups. So really try to understand what is the issue and how do we solve it? Now, one of the key issues that we set out and we recognised right from the beginning of the review is that people are finding their satisfaction, as in satisfaction with their ability to get an appointment or to access primary care is deteriorating. And we've noticed that through our GP patient survey, but we also know that from what patients tell us, from what people tell us, uh, we, we hear it all the time. So I, I called up 200 times to get an appointment and then I missed the slot so I couldn't actually book an appointment because there weren't any left today. Um, and, and that is absolutely not right. And we want to find a way to create a system that is more simple to navigate so that you can get an appointment when you need one but also to help the public recognize where you might have the best appointment because actually it might not be face to face it might not be with your gp and actually when we dig under some of the data when people are seen when they do get the consultation it might be remote it might be on on the telephone it might be more algorithm based it might be through the app actually people feel cared for very well. So what we need to do is make sure that people can navigate the system, that they end up seeing the right person or speaking to the right person or digitally interacting with the right person and and getting their care that way. Um, Because that's going to increase satisfaction, make sure that our our population is well looked after, but it will also help our profession. And our profession is is extremely under pressure, like every part of the NHS. And when will we hear more about the review? Are you going to publish something? Yeah, so um, absolutely. So we'll publish something in the new year, in January, um, and it will set out a series of actions for us as an organisation to take. Part of it will go through contract negotiation because it will be a negotiation with general practice in terms of what you offer and when and how. Um, but part of it will be things that we just should be doing anyway. So um, we will be we will get more details out soon. One of the big recent changes in how we organise GP surgeries has been the introduction of primary care networks. This is a way of joining together GPs in bigger groups that can use their size to have greater power in getting the best possible services 
for their patients. Nikki told me more about primary care networks and what they were supposed to achieve. So primary care networks is about bringing practices together, no matter your size, whether you're large or small, it's not about practices merging or becoming one one team only, but that they come together and they provide some support and some um, sustainability by by joining and working in a, in a philosophically different way. So this is about um, sharing uh, your staff, sharing your services, so that you can offer the care that your, your local population needs. Why not merge? I think part of the beauty of British general practice is that actually um, practices, because they are relatively small, so, you know, look after about 10,000 people, they've been able to build a relationship with their community in a way that other parts of the health system just can't. So I see my patients every week. I've seen them for years and years. I've seen them uh, through some of the best and worst moments of their life. And sometimes when they come in and I squeeze them in at the end of my surgery because they just want to see me, um, they'll tell me something that they wouldn't have told someone else. We need to value that. We do value that in the NHS, so we don't want to lose that. But the the scale of the primary care network where three, four, five practices come together allows us to maintain that um, continuity and that relationship, but also allows us to do more for the community outside of the hospital environment. And how big do you think primary care networks should be? Is it, you said three or four yeah. uh, practices coming together. What is it? Is it a population of 100,000, so 50,000? No, it's smaller than, yeah, so it's 30 to 50,000. Both the national evidence through the Vanguard programme and international evidence has told us that at the size of 30 to 50,000 patient population, that's a natural community. And what that actually means is that you get about 100 to 150 healthcare workers working together. That is the optimal size. It's called the Dunbar number. It means that people can get to know each other and trust each other. We know that trusting relationships can build better care as well. So there is an evidence base behind the population size and it helps us create some of that community cohesion and some of that stickiness that many communities feel that they've lost. So what would be these extra things or what are the extra things that a network offers that a single GP practice or a GP practice of 10,000 wouldn't offer? So uh, the the network offer will feel slightly different um, because it has two core objectives. One is to sustain general practice in the way that we know is important. And secondly, it's to actually manage some of the workload and make sure that patients are seen by the right person. So the network offer is very much about getting additional staff in to support the practices, but also to get the offer right for the patient. So we will see more clinical pharmacists, social prescribing link workers, uh, paramedics, physiotherapists and physicians associates supporting the network to run better. And how far have we got with creating these networks and getting them up and running and, and providing the kind of care you've just described? So Simon, it's early days still. We're a year into the new contract, um, but actually the network started off in July, so it's still very early days. The contract is a five-year contract. It's the first time we've been able to do that, which means we've got some uh, some surety and some stability into, into primary care and some clarity about the direction of travel. So that, you know the, the vision is all there, um, but what I say most to sort of practices and people who want to engage with primary care networks is it's a marathon it's not a sprint it will take time because if this is a philosophically different way of working and I believe it is it is about you know building those relationships and, and creating those connections that bind so that we can kind of, you know really deliver care differently so uh, five years early days um, but you'll start to feel the difference over the next year or so. Assembly member Vish Ratnasuria told me about how the launch of primary care networks 
or PCNs as people often call them, was going. They only came into being in July. You know, the fact that the whole country was covered by a jigsaw of, you know, 1,200 or so of them, I think was an immense achievement. But we have to respect that people are in different stages of beginnings. Some people have had great relationships and that should continue and they will thrive and, and maybe be ahead of the curve. Other places have needed to take time and space to establish relationships just with themselves before they look to the community, the rest of health and social care and organisations beyond. And that for me is the key, having, having that space to establish the relationships uh, because without that we can't uh, improve care beyond the interfaces, beyond the boundaries and, and, and do the population health thing that we would all like to do. Fish in Birmingham where you are, how far along that journey are you? Are, are you delivering on population health or working closer with your community? So, so what we're trying to do in my organisation, our health partnership, is actually provide some air cover to networks. I don't believe that networks can achieve all, all things for all people. And what I want to do is free uh, local leaders, whether they're GPs and other staff groups, to, to actually have time to have the creative space to connect with their communities um, for, for the priorities for the local area. And, and, and that we can create systems and, and processes to do things at the right scale. So we're creating systems of pharmacists using social prescribing to invest in local organisations that run food banks and leisure services and things. So, you know, we have the opportunity to do things at the right scale. So we're starting, you know, and, and, you know we're really looking forward to some creative partnerships, but it's early days. And if you ask the public what are the things that they... Uh, most want from the NHS, a timely GP appointment comes, uh, if not top of the list, certainly in the top three, uh, is our primary care networks, are what you are trying to do, helping with that challenge around access for, for people to their GP? So, so, so when I talk about access, I always think about you know, access to immediacy and continuity at the same time, because you know, there's a huge breadth of what general practice provides, and often many of us are fortunate enough to only just get one little you know, intersection with, with the breadth of what we provide. So there, there are some people that need you know, immediate care and we should be providing that. There are some people that need access to their trusted GP to help create shared understanding and decisions about their, you know, their health and, and where they go next. And we should, we should provide for that in teams. And, and so PCNs are helping us to develop some of those teams. Um, and over the next five years, we will layer and layer more onto those teams. And we need to give thought to both the immediacy and the continuity elements of the care that we provide. Do we have that balance right? One of the things we heard Claire Gerardo describe was some of her extra sessions that she's putting on, particularly during the Christmas period, nobody came along at all. Every population is different. And I think this is where we need to connect back to our people. Um, and, and, and get the lived experience of our patients and communities, but also the data that we capture. You know, we, we need to build better capabilities to, to analyse that and develop our services around that. General practice has also always had the ability to innovate and, and we need to kind of reinvigorate that and, and, and focus on what our individual populations and PCNs need. The Assembly also had perspective on PCNs. Here are three GPs, Andy Knox, Graham Jackson and first, Claire Fuller forever designing a governance system and actually the best way to uh, mature is to deliver, to actually work together to do something rather than just to sit around and talk about how. Uh, and, and I think the same is true of ICSs as well. We've spent, you can spend a long time sitting around worrying about, well, 
uh, designing beautiful governance systems, but if that beautiful governance system doesn't deliver anything, then you've wasted your time. Thank you. There, are, there is so much potential within PCNs to really, really see new stuff. And I think that it's not all backward, actually. I don't think all the governance is slow. We've really got it going in Morecambe Bay and across lots of the ICS in, in Lancashire and South Cumbria. Um, and seeing other roles like physio first and our advanced nurse practitioners, and there are so many new ways of working, especially with our community voluntary sector. There are some brilliant things happening. So I think if we're really going to believe in PCNs, we actually have to expand them and expand their capabilities faster and allow us to innovate more than we're currently able to do so. Fantastic innovation, huge, huge potential, will deliver really, really, really well, but they won't do it by January. And, and, the, and the issue is that they have got such potential, we need to make sure they actually are embedded. People still talk, not, haven't talked to their next door practice for years. Then we've got a fantastic potential there. So we must use them, but we also must not kill them in the first year of their life. Thank you to Assembly members Vish, Claire, Andy, Graham, Helen and Lucy, as well as Nikki Kanani. To make sure you don't miss out on the next NHS Assembly podcast, do go to our website and sign up. Or subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. I'm Simon Enright. Thanks for listening. You can keep up to date with the NHS Assembly, our podcast and further reading by visiting longtermplan.nhs.uk and click on NHS Assembly to subscribe.